This episode of the Broadband Bunch is sponsored by ETI Software and Vetro FiberMap. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. I'm Joe Coldabella and we are at FiberConnect 2023. Joining me is Kevin Morgan, the CMO of Clearfield and the co-chairman of the Senior Council Committee for the Fiber Broadband Association. Kevin, welcome back to the Broadband Bunch. Joe, it's great to be here. Yeah, you know, it's it's always, it's great. Um, actually, this was one of the first events that I went to um, when I first started here uh, in the world of broadband. Um, and it's one of those things where it's kind of incredible just in the few years how much growth there has been. Mm-hmm. You know, this itself is a massive event. How does that make you feel in terms of somebody who's sort of been here from from the beginning and sort of building with with the steps? Yeah, so this is like 13 years after I started as a board member. And, uh, you know, years ago, it was common that we would have maybe 1,200 attendees and something like that. And just a nice, nice um, small number, actually. Uh, in the last three years since COVID, it's just exploded. And uh, we did a few things that... Uh, you know, along the way as an association to bring this to bear, but also just the environment itself. It's the the market forces have come together at the right time, and now we're in the 4,000 attendee conference. And it gives me great satisfaction having uh, put in a lot of the blood, sweat, and tears early days, tilling the soil, you know, helping to advocate for fiber-based, you know, friendly policies. And now we're seeing all the federal funding coming around and the FCC and the NTIA and different so- sorts of uh, entities really fund our industry. You know, it's it's it is incredible because it, you know I'm, we're we're sort of on on the same path, the broadband bunch in terms of like when you're first starting out, nobody wants to listen, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh wow, you know these guys at the Fiber Broadband Association, they're doing good things, and it's like all of a sudden this spotlight is put on you guys, right? And it must be one of those things where you know it, it, in terms of gratifying in the sense like I knew we were going down the right path, and that we are. So it must be. Um, just, you know, one of those things is, is working with everyone that uh, it's come together like this with such a fantastic event. Yeah, I thought when I went out last year uh, as the chairman of the board of the, of the, of the association with the momentum we had, uh, certainly one of the pinnacles in, of my career and in, in accomplishing, um, having come back and now seeing an even bigger conference, I'm thinking, <laughs> well, I need to be a part of this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the senior council committee is there to help, you know, advise the board on, on certain matters. And in terms of just the, just you guys are, are there sort of like making sure that uh, all the 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 dots, uh, the, the the T's are crossed and the, the, the I's are dotted? Yeah. So one of the things that we did after I got uh, elected to the board years ago, um, we instituted term limits. And with the term limits, uh, the idea was to bring on fresh uh, bodies to the board and you know, new ideas, new companies. But with that, you lose some of the connective tissue to how did you get here and what were the things you did along the way. So the senior council committee is made up of former board chairs that have been there, done that, and knew, you know, kind of where all the uh, the bodies are buried. And forgive me for that. <laughs> no, I but, love uh, it, yeah. yeah, it's it's basically there to help out the board. But, you know, I, that's a great point because I think that's one of the things that's happening as a trend in terms of the industry as a whole is that um, there's a lot of folks that are that are – you know, sort of getting to that point where they want to step away from 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 everyday work, mm-hmm. but but um, you know, you you hear operators, you hear you know, everyone say, listen, you know, 
reach this person or reach this woman right. because they really know what's going on and they can shorten that time it takes to get to an answer. And sure. it's like, it's invaluable. Yeah. 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 So we're an advisory committee and that's, uh, that's what we, what we do. And how big is the committee? Uh, just former board chairs. So we have like three people. Right okay. There. Sure. Um, and then I just, out of curiosity, is there anything this, in this year's show that's like, oh, wow, um, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm great. Either glad they're doing it this year or it's something that I'm glad they're continuing. Um, you know, I certainly am, am impressed with the, the caliber of speakers we have. Um, I sat in the general session this morning and uh, when we're talking about one of the main problems uh, and barriers to fiber deployment is permitting. And so when you have the senior um, person on the uh, current administration's staff and he's responsible to coordinate permitting issues among all the agencies, um, it's very encouraging to see that we are now on their radar, that this is an important aspect for administration they understand that this is something that they can they can be participating in this big fiber build out in a meaningful way to reduce the barriers to to fiber deployment and uh, a lot of that it's just really common sense coordination uh, but but they volunteered to be in, in a really key role uh, to help uh, you know break down barriers when you cross in federal lands for example in multiple states and different kinds of things that you just can't take you can't anticipate until you've tried and then you you have a problem. You know, it's 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 a really an interesting point because it's one of those things where when this all sort of in terms of the the, the ocean of money that comes in, mm -hmm. something is simple but as important as permitting is something that probably was like not glossed over, but people weren't like really it wasn't really something that folks are focused on. Yeah, there's several issues like that 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 um, the technology. Everybody in the early days we're just focused on the technology because it's so you know gee whiz right. Uh, product technologies, different kinds of, of um, trends, but when you get down to rolling it out, to installing it, to trying to build out a, an actual network, and you look at all the other problems, other barriers, non-technology uh, is significant, and and that's that's where we're seeing um, our customers run into problems. Uh, companies that privately funded don't have the funding from the government, but they're they're targeting to go into these areas that are unserved by the According to the FCC maps, unserved, underserved, hitting roadblocks at the local um, municipality level because of maybe things that have been done in the past where they've allowed pole attachments or they've allowed access to right away and they've gotten burned. Sure. And in that case, they're just saying, hey, I'm, I'm, we're not allowing any more. We can't do that. I mean, ultimately, the consumers are the ones that suffer. But uh, I've, I've talked to several that um, have had this issue and it's a, it's an issue that's, it's a real issue that's, this we're trying to wrestle with in the industry. Well, and, and my hope is that, you know, the, 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 the terror that was COVID, the silver lining is that folks understand that, Hey, listen, we, you know, even though that things may have gone sideways before, it's like, listen, this time is different. This is, and that's sort of, go ahead. We do have, uh, and, and of course, uh, with the infrastructure investment and jobs act, the uh, Congress, uh, bipartisan support. So across both lines, they they would agree this is important. We, but when you get down to the individual levels, and what we've seen, the trends are, if you're in a, um, a larger city, you can handle the permitting issues fine. Mid-sized um, government, maybe county levels, fine. It's when you get into the smaller uh, townships and rural areas that they're not, uh, in many cases, they don't, 
they haven't digitized their processes. They're still operating on a, a fax or a, a paper system for allegations. Oh, really? oh, yeah. And so they can't. And the, this is the areas that we're targeting to go after unserved areas in those locations. And so they're getting overrun with access or, you know, applications for permitting for a number of reasons um, because of all this investment that's slowing their way. And um, there, there are things that you can do to streamline the permitting process. For example, um, South Carolina instituted a one hour required orientation for anybody doing a broadband uh, permitting application. And they, they kind of step the applicant through all of the, the landmines um, because when you do the build out, you don't have to go just to a, a city for their poles. Um, many cases you have to coordinate with the department of transportation, the railroads, uh, other civic organizations. If you cross state uh, boundaries or if you cross county boundaries or two municipalities, these are common things that happen when you're building out fiber. So, um, there, there are ways to deal with those in an efficient way, and and then there's what we see in other cases, just stalemate. Well, you know, you raise a great point that you know, hopefully, one of the things that is great about these these councils and the fact that you you guys are engaging with the state broadband offices is that there's collaboration and communication with with everybody. Because you've got a, like this this great example here, and then you would hope that someone maybe in Arizona who's having the same problem right. can sort of like learn from that, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, listen, all fifty states are sort of rolling in the same direction, which mm-hmm. is great. Yeah. Um, it's interesting as I was prepping for this this uh, interview for some odd reason. Something that you said a year and a half ago, or maybe even two years ago, popped in my head. And I don't know if you remember saying it or whatever, but it was it was you were amazed at how important um, politics and how much government um, is important in terms of moving the the ball, so to speak. Yeah. So two years later, do you feel that way? You know, it's it's uh, it, I've tried to I thought about that in terms of um, I heard a quote some time ago. And I can't repeat it word for word, but the, the idea is that every major technological advancement is rooted in a political decision. Even think about it. Most of the advancements in technology that we have today, you know, the space program drove a lot of development, all politically motivated, you know, uh, efforts. This, this thing that we have now, the bead funding, um, it's going to drive some innovations that just haven't been in the past. Um, so I think it's, there is a tie there um, that, that technological decisions and advancements are driven in, in a lot, large part due to political decisions somewhere along the way. Yeah, no, it, it is definitely interesting when um, just as the money is sort of rolled out, um, how much action is being done. And it, it's incredible. Yeah. And I'm not talking about, you know, the, the political people going down to the bit by level and understanding the, the format of the protocols or anything like that. But just the idea of, okay, we're, we're going to put a man on the moon. That's a political decision. That drove so many elements. Uh, the fact that we're going to fiber or, you know, connect all, all Americans with broadband, high-speed broadband. That's, that's going to drive so much in terms of, of real technological advancement. So in terms of the advancement, you know, um, I really have to, I, I'm a, a marketing guy. I was in mm-hmm. marketing and advertising for 20 years before shifting into this industry. And I think that you guys did an absolutely phenomenal job, actually probably better than anybody in terms of, of, of sort of like 
putting down your stake in the ground, if it's not fiber, uh, if it's if it's not yeah. fiber, it's not broadband. Right. Um, you guys must be doing secretly high fives because <laughs> it's one of those things where, uh, you know, I think there are lots of folks doing lots of great things, but um, you guys basically, I don't know, won the day. Yeah, it's one of those things that, uh, uh, from a technology standpoint, fiber is is absolutely the end game for anyone who's rolling out high speed, you know, broadband. They know that, uh, regardless of the technology they're using at the at the time, they would all tell you they would prefer to roll out fiber if they can. Um, so it's, it's one of those kind of easy arguments, but you do have to state it in very simplistic terms. Um, and one of the benefits of being at the fiber broadband association, when you have 500 members and 52% of them are operators, you're not, you're not being driven by the supplier community per se. They're big, big, uh, contributors in terms of sponsorship and things like that. But we have a membership that we have to account for, um, all across the board and especially on the operator side, you know, a CLEC is not going to agree with an incumbent's practices. We've got both. We've got them, you know, by the, by the dozens in our association. And the thing we, we have to come back to in our advocacy positions in Washington or state levels is that we're all about fiber, you know, is whatever's the best to keep fiber uh, in the forefront. That's where, that's where we're going to, you know, advocate for. Um, in many cases, it may offend, you know, one section of our members. But if we go back to the, the most effective we can be, putting the most wood behind our arrow is to keep it simple. You know, it's all about fiber, and that's that's where we're focused. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Which sort of leads me to my next area, which is the bead funding itself. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, I would love to get your 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 initial thoughts. I you know, in terms of the folks that I bring on, uh, do you think you know was enough money allocated in terms of like middle mile or um, you know, do you like the state broadband offices? Would love to just get your your sort of impressions on on the the bead funding. Yeah, I think it's another example where um, by coming out with the way that they did, and I think. <laughs> If history is any indication, when you look back at other broadband-funded programs, um, the way in which those dollars were implemented through the RDOF process, the reverse auctions, I think they learned some some issues uh, at the FCC. And so NTIA was the agency that Congress basically said, we're going to go this route now. And by the way, other things, um, the eligible entities are no longer the individual um, service providers, just the states and the eligible entities of the territories. Uh, and they get to make up the decision for who the subgrantee is. So that's a really big improvement, but it's also adding another 12 months to the whole top process. Well, so it's so, a little bit, a uh, little bit of a lag effect of what we're going to see. So you, in terms of you're saying like the, the state broadband offices, they're setting aside their five-year plans. Yeah. We're adding an extra layer because it, it's interesting. If you were to ask me for most things, uh, I think that adding extra layers of mm. bureaucracy are a bad thing, mm. but I almost see this as as a as a net benefit because I think that it allows um, that the sort of decision making to be taken out of Washington because yeah. somebody in California or Nevada has a totally different perspective than I think that was the aha moment they were learning from the Ardoff. Okay, right? and that's that's the big learning lesson. And they kudos to the government; they made a better decision. Uh, but even in the rules that the NTIA has posed, uh, they identify that after the 20% initial proposal, you've got 12 months, up to 12 months, to identify the process and the selection process for your sub-grantees. 
So the service providers that actually get the money to build the networks, you know, if we get 20% within 180 days of the announcement of our June 27th announcement, June 30th, that's December 27th this year, that's the 180 days that all the eligible entities have to provide their initial proposals. Many of them are early, but then they've got another 12 months to identify how that sub-grantee process is going to work. And is that, is that also the challenge period as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So All that's boiled into it. And uh, so ultimately what that means is that the money that we know is coming is likely not going to get here till the end of 24, or early 25. So, all right. So that's interesting because in terms of just me as sort of an outsider, I'm actually, this is going to sound really weird. I know that folks want broadband as soon as possible, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's almost better that there's, that they've slowed down the process because mm-hmm. it seemed like there was a locomotive train like the last yeah. uh, 12 to 16 months. And then it's all of a sudden it's like, Hey, listen, we're going to get there, but we've got to make sure that we do it right. Yeah. Absolutely, I hundred percent agree. Um, so I, if I could a little bit, I'm just curious, just to get you know, I ask people these different questions or whatever. In terms of AI, do you think that it's going to be a a big part of our industry in terms of moving forward, or is it one of those things where, um, I don't, I don't know what sort of your take on in general. It's hard for me to envision, you know, how that's going to play. Uh, however, I, I'm a strong believer that that would. Um, likely increase the amount of bandwidth required in the in the networks. And so that's a good thing that will point more to fiber-based broadband. Well, isn't it crazy? I, and I just interviewed some folks from Arkansas where it's like, you know what? Uh, everyone thinks that there there's, oh, I'm going to have plenty of, of, uh, of data, you know, but it's like, it's, it's like a never ending thing where we, it's just like, you give me five, I'll take five. You give me 10, you give me a hundred, you give me a thousand and it's just going to grow, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And as here's, you know, we, we uh, use this model to, de- to describe how this all works um, with a, basically a, a three prong. If you picture a circle and you've got at the 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock position, let's say the network. At the four o'clock position, you have the devices. And at the eight o'clock position, you have the applications. So if you increase the amount of network capacity or network speed, that creates an opportunity to create new devices that would take advantage of that. And then those new devices create new applications to consume all that. And then it's just a constant cycle. Yeah. So as you increase speeds and capacities, you have new things like, for example, uh, YouTube. YouTube would not function on the DSL network of 15 years ago, right? Just wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to do, or any other type of video streaming network. It's just incompatible. The network was increased. The devices increased. The streaming services and now apps. apps. So that's just a constant thing. I can only imagine what AI is going to, to propagate. And you know what? It's so funny. At least for me, it's subtle, right? It is. It's one of those things where I, I've just been traveling for the last three weeks, and it's amazing how convenient the world is. Hmm. But oh, it's yeah. like, but it's like one of those things the where the world is flat, right? But it, but it's also one of the, that if there's like a little hiccup, people complain. It's like they have no idea in terms of all the processes that go on behind this the the scenes and so it's yeah. like one of those things where they get upset if something is imperfect and it's like listen just think about go like you said 15 20 years ago when yeah. when DSL was like fast yeah and now it's like people would yeah. would shake their fist at you yeah just can't work 
Um, just quickly, you know, what's some of the feedback that you're getting from, from your membership in terms of like, Hey, listen, in the next, you know, uh, six, eight, 12 months, these are some of the things that, that we want to do as, as a, as a, as a provider or, or in terms of want the organization to do. So in the membership, we have, um, different levels of members. Uh, our premier members, um, are the ones who, really drive a lot of the agenda items and we have a premier member meeting every year at the end of the year in December in which we we poll the members what are your top issues what what are the things that are you concerned about um, and what can we do as an association to help you uh, either advocate policies or or you know set up programs to be able to to accommodate your needs um, in the last few years, it's been uh, been about workforce. We knew we saw this coming. It was it was a mountain, not a molehill. So we knew that this was going to be an issue. We created this workforce development committee and a lot of effort. Um, I, I can see this year um, probably a lot more talk about permitting. Uh, work, labor shortages and lack of skilled labor is still there. We're, we're we're trying to address that in the best way possible. But uh, I think you know there's still some other issues that I think our members are going to drag us into. So just to, just to sort of um, hone in on workforce, because it was interesting that um, I, it, it's funny, a few years ago, like the two big things were workforce and supply chain. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously it's not perfect and there's yeah. obviously holes, but, you know, just the last few months, I haven't really heard people, you know, up in arms and screaming. So it seems as though that, that everyone's sort of like addressed the issues, which is kind of good. Yeah, so you know, um, there's been a lot of behaviors that have been happening in the industry um, for over this past 12 months. Uh, uh, if you go a year ago, everybody was just guns blazing, ordering everything they could as fast as they could, and over ordering. Um, and with that, there's a limit in terms of how much of that equipment can be installed in a particular time period, and that's the function of how much labor do you have. And so, you know, the uh, ability to to keep up in terms of supply shortages, I think we're, we're over that now as an industry. Everybody's gotten back down to, to their normal lead times, whatever they're happy with. But the the issue of lack of labor is still there because many of the uh, – it's, it's compounded because you've got a, a workforce in the, in the uh, telecom market, telecommunications equipment uh, market that – um, is aging and some of the experienced uh, folks are, are you know retiring out so it creates a void and you still don't have enough workers so um, I heard today I was talking to someone that uh, uh, in another industry adjacent to ours in the wireless industry tower companies and things like that have crews that are kind of idle because a lot of the a lot of the uh, expected build out in that industry is not happening. Oh, really? Yeah. Not as fast as they thought. And so, you know, it'd be a great time for them to jump into our industry and help us with our Sure. No, that's great. Limits. That, yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where, um, and I don't know if the association will work on this or it's one of those things where it's eternal, internal within organizations, but I would love it because obviously folks are going to retire, mm-hmm. but it almost seems like um, people become semi-retired because they've got mm-hmm. so much um, knowledge mm-hmm. and you don't want to lose that knowledge. So right. it's almost like, is there some way or some program that could be created to where you could use them almost as an angel on your, your right. shoulder? So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, for years, the uh, the telcos have had this thing called a pioneer program. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm not, no. 
So this is exactly what you're talking about. People that have retired, um, that become uh, a telephone pioneer. And then that's uh, knowledge you can tap into. Um, it's meant internally, I guess, within the, uh, the telcos. But uh, I think we need to have the same kind of thing in the, in the fiber industry. That's awesome. Hey, just a, a couple more things. I would love to we talk, talk a little bit about Clearfield and then, and then we can go from there. Obviously, you're the CMO. Sort of like, like what's the, the, the thing that, or the, the point of difference for the, in terms of the, what Clearfield does? Yeah, so Clearfield's been around since 2008, and our focus is on fiber connectivity and fiber management and fiber delivery. Uh, I want to talk about that. What that essentially means is in the outside plant optical distribution network, network uh, we make devices that terminate the fibers, whether they're fiber distribution hub cabinets or um, terminate the feeder fibers with large count fibers that get um, broken down to dis- distribution fibers. Ultimately, we make terminals and fiber drop cables that go to the individual users or the homes or businesses. So our focus, um, everything we do is about reducing the barriers to deployment. In our product philosophy and what we, the way we think about it is how can we implement something in a product that requires less skilled labor, that improves the connection time and improves reliability. Those are the three things that kind of drive everything we do. Sure. So um, today at our Fiber Connect conference, we announced a new product that we've been shipping in our fiber jumpers and fiber cables for about since March. Um, It's a very um, novel concept, but there's an issue in the industry that um, technicians uh, routinely have to go and when they're connecting up homes or even connecting the network, uh, they have um, the opportunity to connect it right or, or wrong. And with this this you know new new workforce, many times uh, they go around and try to cut corners. Uh, what we've done is come out with a a clear pass dust cap that is shipped along with all of our jumpers, fiber cables. And it's designed to be easy to use just to peel off the foil and clean uh, the connectors so that you can remove the dust and particles and film to make sure you have a good clean connection. It's a 92% first pass yield. And uh, there are other products on the market that do this, um, you know, cleaning sticks and different kinds of things. Sure, sure. However, if uh, a technician finds themselves and they don't have it, it's not convenient, it may not happen. And if that happens... Uh, the cost of plugging in a dirty connector is one in which it, it creates a latent defect. You may be able to pass light initially, but it's not going to meet spec, and you have to go out with a truck roll to fix it. So, so as a civilian, yeah. that like the first time I heard that, I was like dumbfounded. Like, really? That, yeah. that could, dust could be that big of a deal. Yeah. So it's one of those things where you know uh, people don't understand. Like, right. just a little thing like that could mean so much. Right, and it, actually. Um, it's even more of a latent uh, defect because one of the big things about building the fiber network is once you have the fiber in place, in order to take advantage of the newer technologies like go from GPON, which is a one gig technology, let's say, to a 10 gig symmetric, all you have to do is change out the endpoints on electronics. Okay. Ultimately, a couple, three years from now, we're going to be going to 50 gig symmetric. Well, if you've got issues that are kind of in the built into the network and and they don't come out until you get to the higher data rates you're going to be screwed so you need to do it right the first time 
Sure. Okay. That's great. No. And then just in terms of your focus, you guys primarily focus on tier two and tier three? So we fortunately have a, a customer base of about a thousand customers and our biggest portion is community broadband, um, tier three local, uh, independent local exchange carriers, as well as municipalities, rural electric co-ops and, and, um, and utilities. So that's our community broadband space. Um, usually makes up more than half our revenues. And then we have the MSO, cable MSO has become uh, very relevant for us. And when I say cable MSO, you probably think the big three, Charter, Comcast, you know, Cox, and Altice right, right. maybe. Uh, the, the smaller the, the cable MSO, the more likely it is they've made the transition or are making the transition to all fiber networks. So folks like Blue Ridge and Shintel and Midcontinent, Midco, they're big customers of ours, and they just decided a few years ago, go all out, go all fiber. Uh, ultimately, that'll happen at the larger national carriers as well. But uh, well, no, anyway, you, we have a lot of customers. Because, no, it's it, the reason why I asked that question is because, you know, I, I live in a metropolitan area, mm -hmm. massive population, um, high population density. So, you know, um, and everyone's on cable. So my question to you is, will there possibly be a, a time when the smaller areas sort of um, – pass the um the larger communities just because they almost like jumped the line because we 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 are actually seeing a shift in the forecasts uh for for our products in terms of homes past homes connected uh the shift is happening this year and next year and that the you total up them the total number of homes passed by the tier ones that, that used to drive the industry okay right it used to be the the, the, the bellwether but if you total up that that tier one space about how much is driving the industry versus community broadband. Now we're on par and actually passing because these are the areas that are growing the fastest. So this is a market shift where the smaller the company, the more likely the aggregate is driving fiber deployment. That's happening now. So they're, cause they're, is it because they're more agile? Is that the thing? Is uh, just in aggregate, that's the areas that need them most. Okay. So the big guys have already deployed where they want to go. And they're, they're kind of in a, they add on as, as needed. Um, but now the, the actual growth is happening at a tier two and below levels. Awesome. Uh, Kevin, I always enjoy talking to you, just learning so much. Really appreciate your yeah. time. Uh, if folks want to learn a little bit more about Clearfield, where can they go? Yeah, please uh, visit our website at cclearfield.com. That's S-E-E, -E, clearfield.com. Awesome. All right, well, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Broadband Bunch. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. Thank you.